0: Our reading today from the Holy Gospel is according to the witness of uh, John. We're looking at the first chapter and the first uh, 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart who has made him known. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. For those of you who've been enjoying vacation, who might have been out of town last week, uh, the sermon was on royalty, and we looked in the scriptures how we, in Christ, are a royal priesthood. And I shared a story with you going back to college days about the visit of a royal king from Norway. And if you missed that sermon, it's on our website. You can listen to that at your leisure, and I hope that you will. Uh, I don't know what's going on with me right now, but as I'm meditating on these texts, um, the Lord's making me nostalgic. Last week I went back to college, and this week, as I'm looking at the text, especially uh, Ephesians, I was drawn to something that happened when I was 15 years of age. That was the summer of 1973. I was at a basketball camp in the hot, humid mountains of Pennsylvania. Anybody been to the Poconos? Don't you dare complain about humidity in Albuquerque. They know humidity out east, and every boy at my high school who hoped to make the freshman, the JV, or the varsity basketball squads knew that he'd better have mom and dad pay for at least two weeks of camp. Three and four would be better, because the camp was run by our head coach, and that was his summer income. And if you didn't show up for camp for at least those two weeks, you could kiss any chance of making the team goodbye. Only 13 boys would be selected for the varsity squad, and... I remember that over 60 of my classmates went out. And even the boys at school who wanted to be the team manager for freshman JV or varsity squads were required to go to camp, the coach made it clear. And one of those young boys hoping to be a manager on our varsity squad had a nickname and we called him Flip, F-L-I-P, Flip, just remember that name, tuck it away, Flip, okay? At camp, it wasn't like beast barracks, but we had to get up very early before the sun was up, and we'd stagger into the dining hall and inhale our breakfast before the sun came up, and then it was time to go and run up and down and up and down and up and down the mountains of the Poconos, and we wore these old-school cloth vests that just rubbed your skin raw. And these vests, by the way, had these wonderful little pockets where you could put in... Sandbags that weighed like two, three, four, and five pounds. And the bigger you were, the more sandbags the coach expected you to wear. And then after that fun excursion, we would come back and it was time for wind sprints, running as fast as we could back and forth the full length of the outdoor courts. And we could feel the heat rising off the surface, asphalt basketball courts. And it felt like our old school Converse tennis shoes were about to melt. And then it would be time for drills, offensive drills, defensive drills, one-on-one competitions, three-on-three competitions, half court. And then finally, around 10 o'clock, we got to play the real game of basketball, five-on-five, full court. And if you missed a layup, you knew exactly what to do. You didn't wait for the coach to call you out. If you missed an easy layup, you just kept running to the end of the court where you owed the coach 25 push-ups and 100 jump ropes. And somebody else would take your place on the court. By noon, we were really hungry. And we were really thirsty. And we would devour our chow in the dining hall and drink as much water as we could. And then we would dash back outside up this one hill where there was, thanks be to God, an outdoor swimming pool where we could just cool off for about 15 minutes before afternoon drills and training commenced. Remember Flip? That's where Flip comes in. He was there hoping to be the manager, right? We found out later that someone told Flip, there was just tons of money, coin, that had been sucked into the drain in the deep end of the pool, and all you had to do was sneak into the pool and remove the cover, and you could get all that money. As we started making our way up the hill to the pool, we noticed a pair of tennis shoes on the edge but we didn't see anybody splashing in the water and as we got closer we saw someone in the bottom and he wasn't moving so we all took turns jumping in fully clothed, dozens of boys trying to rescue who was ever down there and it was Flip he was unconscious and his arm was stuck in that drain all the way up to the elbow the force of the pump system had just sucked it in And none of us knew how long he'd been down there. Minutes seemed like hours as we took turns going down one at a time. We couldn't get that arm removed. And then finally some of us said, why don't three of us try at the same time? And we we stood on the bottom of the pool and got that arm out and then brought his body up to the edge of the pool. And then we took turns administering CPR and mouth-to-mouth until finally some color returned to Flip's skin. He was so purple. And then he started coughing and moaning and screaming. And remember, these were the days before cell phones, so finally someone had the presence of mind to run down to the far end of the basketball camp, go the the camp office and call 911. Finally, we could hear the siren of the ambulance off in the distance, we had to carry Flip down because there were no roads to get that ambulance up to the top side. And we watched Flip loaded into that old school ambulance on the gurney. And when it was out of sight and we're all just standing there, uh, the coaches said, look, just go to your cabins. Just go to your cabins. Stay there till we tell you you can come out. And nobody said a word. Later that day, the assistant coaches called us out of our cabins and we assembled in mass, over 250 boys, uh, for the announcement about Flip. He was alive. He was in a coma. He was in critical condition and our head coach was at the hospital waiting for Flip's parents to drive all the way up from Fairfax, Virginia, where we lived and went to school i got to tell you, the rest of that week at camp was a strange and sad experience. They officially closed the pool, (laughs) none of us were allowed to get near it. And when um, our time at camp ended, we got on buses to take us back home to Fairfax. We heard that Flip was still unconscious in the hospital in the town of uh, Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. And now I'm glad to tell you that the story has a happy ending. (laughs) After several weeks in intensive care, Flip uh, improved, and he was finally released. And uh, his recovery was nothing short of miraculous. He was there when school started in September, and I don't know if um, he earned it, but the coaching staff decided to make him one of our uh, team managers on the varsity squad when season got underway. And that skip on the far right side in the white shirt That's the young boy who almost died in the pool. And when our team, that one district, and went to regionals and qualified for state and got beaten the first round, uh, when we had our spring honors award, um, Flip was called up to say a few words. And this is what I remember. I just want to thank all you guys for saving my life at camp. I know what I did was stupid when I got my hand stuck. I just want to say thanks to everyone who jumped in to save me. The doctors told me I was as good as dead, but you guys saved my life. I'll never forget what all of you did for me. But now I want you to use your sanctified imagination. And I want you to pretend with me that Flip got up and said something different. Now, you've heard the real story of what happened to him. But imagine Flip saying something like this. Well, I'm here today because um, I saved my own life at camp last summer. I shouldn't have removed the drain cover, but I did but by my own effort, my own determination, my own presence of mind, my own decision, I was able to rescue myself. When I was on the bottom of the pool, I decided right then and there, I better set myself free. You guys are lucky that I did that and that I became such a great manager. Otherwise, you might not have made it to regionals and states. So you can thank me now or thank me later. I was dead, but I saved my life and I get all the credit. And you're just fortunate to be blessed By me. Now that speech would have been ridiculous, right? That would have been nonsense. Flip did not save himself. He could not have saved himself. It was by the actions of other scared boys who did their best at CPR and then the skilled care of the hospital staff that he was brought back to life. And any decision that Flip would have bragged about in saving himself would have been nonsense. He needed to be saved. He needed to be rescued. He needed someone else, literally, to reach down and pull him out of certain death. And he was saved. And he was uh, thankful to those who did the saving. And yet, when it comes to being saved from certain death by God's grace and love. There are some who don't talk the way that Skip actually spoke at our awards banquet. Instead, they talk of themselves and what they did. They use the word I a lot. They point to the day that I decided to follow Jesus. They talk of my personal decision to accept Christ as if they're the ones who get all the credit for this gift. I hope you listen to Ephesians 2 today. That's not the way the Word of God describes being saved. All the glory, all the credit goes to God for the gift of His Son, Jesus, who died that we might be saved from death itself. It was all done for us. We don't deserve it. We can't take credit for it. We certainly didn't make it happen. Dead people can't save themselves any more than Flip's lifeless body could get out of the deep end of the pool by itself. And make no mistake, without Jesus, the Word of God today tells us we're as good as dead. Here again, Paul's message in Ephesians. We are all dead in our sins, our trespasses. We're dead without Christ. We cannot give ourselves credit for the life that Jesus won for us on the cross. No matter how nice, how polite, how hardworking we are, how law-abiding we might be, um, we're spiritually dead without Christ. And in this death, we are saved by grace. And Paul says, this is not our own doing. And he makes this point not once but twice. Grace is unearned. No one can boast about being saved. No one can brag And we are saved from death by this grace, ah, through faith. And in whom do we have faith? Ourselves and our decisions? Or is our faith in God? And a decision that Jesus made for us to leave the beauty and the wonder and the perfection of heaven and enter the Word made flesh, this broken, sinful world where He would go the way of the cross. We're not saved because we show up for church, because we put some money in the plate, or because we haven't committed any really bad crimes like some people we read about in the newspaper. We're all saved, sinners one and all, by grace through faith. I really do think that faith, Christian faith, is like Flip's new attitude, his new life. After being saved, he knew he was a goner. He knew he was a dead boy without others to save him. And in Christ, we know that we were all goners. And our faith is in him who took action to save us from ourselves. So, yeah, we go to church. We do share some of our wealth. We do our best to obey God's word, not in order to be saved, but because we've been saved. And this is not just a matter of semantics. On this, the gospel stands or falls, either Jesus saves or we save ourselves, it cannot be the same way. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Even our faith is in response to grace. Even our faith is a gift, because it all originates with God's first move, God's first action, God's prior love, in His mercy and His compassion. We are saved from death, and we're saved for life, for good works, our new way of being, we hear in Ephesians. Flip wasn't saved so he could go back in the next swimming pool and get himself stuck all over again. He knew what he did was wrong. He even said, I know it was stupid, but having been rescued, he wasn't going to go back to the old ways. He knew he was fortunate to be alive. And that he'd been rescued from certain death Same for us as Christians Being saved has two levels of meaning Saved from hell And damnation and death And saved for the kingdom For Jesus, for life We get to do good works We celebrate God's grace by seeking What he would have us say and do Because we've been saved Now before anyone puts an unsigned note in my box or sends me email later today, there's absolutely categorically nothing wrong with remembering the day, the hour, the minute, the second that you were saved. Some of you have those precious, powerful memories. There's nothing wrong with realizing that without God's grace, some of you would still be stuck in situations that were literally dead end. Many of you remember the exact moment you came alive in Christ that's the Holy Spirit bringing you from death to life but do you get the credit for this or does Jesus are you the hero of your story or is Jesus the champion of your life others here at faith have known Jesus as long as they can remember I'm in that category I learned at an early age, that Jesus is Lord of my life. I've known Jesus as long as I've known my mom and dad. I know that in that I am blessed. He's been my hero as long as I can remember. And like me, some of you learned about Jesus in Sunday school, on your parents' laps, on your grandparents' laps, in vacation Bible school. You've known Jesus as long as you can recall. And you know that he died for a sinner like you and a sinner like me. And no one has the biblical authority to tell you that your faith is invalid. God can work on us over a lifetime. God can change us in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment of grace and mercy. But God gets all the glory, no matter how we're brought to faith. I had someone recently, when they found out I was a Lutheran, uh, try to save me. And, um, I mean, he asked me quite angrily, you know, you, you need to decide to follow Jesus. And I said, well, I, I do that several times a day. I mean, someone's rude to me. Someone's profane. Someone cuts me off in traffic. I know what I want to do. Jesus, I want to follow you. And by the Spirit's power, I make a decision. I want you to think of that old hymn. Baptists sing it, Catholics sing it, Lutherans sing it, Christians sing it across denominational lines. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. If that great hymn reflects the gospel well, then God gets all the glory. I didn't save myself. Jesus saved me. I was a wretch. I was lost. But Jesus left heaven to come and find me and bring me home. And I was blind to God's love. I didn't see or understand. But Jesus opened my eyes. And now I see.